Up next, we are taking a look at what to expect from the next wave of digital investors. And hosting the conversation, we have James Putra from TradeStation Crypto, Heja Rathke from OKCoin, John Fargo from Luna Crush, Annabelle Huang from Amber Group, and Jake Ryan from Crypto Investing, the age of autonomy, and Devin Netner from Simple. All right. Welcome, everybody. We are uh, here today to talk about the next wave of digital investors. It's a panel that I am super excited about. I'm joined with a all-star cast, super knowledgeable from all different areas of the crypto space. So uh, I'm very excited to kick this off and uh, it's been an exciting day. So let, let's dive right into it. So why don't we start off with introductions? We'll just go alphabetical. Uh, Annabelle, if you can tell us about who you are and what problem you're solving, please. Sure. Hi, everyone. Very Glad to be here and be joined by this amazing panel as well. So my name is Annabelle Huang. I'm a managing partner at Amber Group. We're a Asia-based wealth management crypto finance platform. Uh, we help our users, uh, clients, both institutional and retail globally to trade, manage, access crypto, uh, really trying to, to build the bridge between traditional finance, where our background is, into digital wealth. Um, so that's who we are and the, the problem we're trying to solve. Awesome. Thank you, Annabelle. Devin, you're up next. Hi, my name is Devin Niemer. I'm a investor primarily in real estate and business, but very quickly my crypto portfolio is going to outperform all of them. It's, it's clear as day that I'm not too far from that being the main thing in my net worth. But at the same time, so because of that experience in all of these different bootstrapping businesses and real estate, I learned a lot about leverage for doing all of those things. So when Aave was introduced to me and the ability to borrow against uh, debts, I thought, well, why not borrow? I think did we lose John. All right, Haider, maybe you can jump in here. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. So my name is Haider Rafi. I'm the chief marketing officer here at OKCoin. OKCoin is a global crypto platform. Uh, we're based in San Francisco, uh, but we are a distributed team. And what I am looking to solve, uh, particularly with the team, Grim team we have here, is bring more people who are crypto curious and essentially on the fence about crypto into our platform and give them a really easy to use experience that is a combination of a CFI and a DeFi. So we know there's been a lot of demand around uh, DeFi in the last 12 to 18 months, but it's really problematic uh, in terms of uh, signing up for uh, you know numerous wallets, DEXs, only to get exposure to these high yield protocols. What we're doing is within one or two clicks, you can enter these uh, protocols directly through our CFI platform using your bank account, and you get access to these high yields and we actually remove all the fees, the network fees for you. Uh, so you're able to get maximum exposure versus worrying about the initial fees to enter these protocols. Um, yeah. Awesome. Super interesting. And, and John, we can close us out here on this one. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Great panel. Um, so I'm John Farjo, uh, Chief Product Officer and, and Co-Founder of Lunar Crush. Um, we track, uh, you know, all of the social activity across all of the coins you know, and probably a whole bunch of ones that you don't. Um, we, we really look at the real-time social activity and try and make sense of it all for everyone. Um, I guess you could think of us like 
if you are looking at, say, your Twitter feed, you're kind of seeing what's going on right now with just a, a small, small subset of the crypto community. We track everything, every single mention around every coin. Um, and what we're really after, we're trying to give uh, really the community an ongoing idea of what's going on. Is activity moving up? Is it moving down? Are there is the community growing? Is it shrinking? Um, I was on another panel yesterday where we, we talked just about how much it's grown. Um, you know, a year ago, we were 200 and something thousand posts a day, and now we're almost going to hit 2.5 million a day. So activity is growing crazy. It's global. We have users in 213 countries. Uh, we're, we're, most of our teams in California, but we have people in, in, in Texas, in Chile, in Costa Rica, in Kenya, and we're growing um, our, our team right now. But it's uh, what we do. Well, that, that's fantastic. Welcome back, Devin. Sorry you got cut short here. Um, did you want to add anything before we jump into the, the firing questions? Just real quick that we're working on a project called Simple. The main focus of it is as prices dip, buying the dip, right? So as prices dip, you leverage against it, buy more, and then the asset prices go up. You use that to pay down the debt and you acquire more tokens. So basically, it's a way of multiplying the quantity of tokens that you have. Awesome. So as you guys can see, we've got a really well uh, talented panel here from access to wealth management to metrics to, to really the full spectrum. So my first question, and I'm going to start with John, since you seem to be at this sort of really interesting intersection of the of the data. What are are you seeing any standout adoption trends or themes from this current bull market? Oh, definitely. Um so I'd say I'd go back to January 1st, and that was the first day that, you know, if you were on LunarCrush.com, you would have seen Dogecoin went crazy from a social perspective. Um, and then the price didn't fall like it used to fall. Doge used to go up a penny, down a penny, you know, you'd go up way, way high, way down, and then it would sit there for six months. And all of a sudden, we started seeing some themes happen. And then we started seeing more tokens in the meme space go crazy. Like, and now you're seeing Shiba. You're seeing Flocky, you're seeing Yushi, you're seeing all these things. So that's definitely been a, a theme. But I'd say on the more recent front, um, I would look at the, the metaverse space. You know, over the last few months, we've seen uh, mentions of metaverse just in general go way higher. Um, and then we have things like Facebook change their name to Meta. Um, and then all the memes follow and all that stuff. Uh, I think someone renamed it to Feta, uh, Cheese, and, and all sorts of different names. Um, but we saw, we're seeing metaverses go crazy. Um, and that's really an interesting trend that we do not see slowing down. We see that accelerating. Um, I'd say NFTs are massive and we're going to do so much more in the NFT space. So stay tuned for that. But uh, NFTs are big and going to get way bigger. Um, you know, and I, I think the other thing that we, we also see from a trend perspective is just the number of people talking about crypto in general. Um, from a from a higher level, from the highest point it's ever been, which is now, um, it's accelerating faster than it's ever accelerated before. And so, what we're saying is that, like, we're I don't want to say that things are going mainstream because the numbers are still fairly small when you think about it. But um, the numbers are accelerating. So, um, to say that there's a million people talking a, a day about crypto, um, those are still small numbers. Um, I could see that going way way up. But uh, those are some of the things that we're seeing. Super interesting. And Haider, are you seeing that at the same type of level of interest? Is it translating to accounts? Uh, and are, do you see any other trends or themes that would be that they stand out to you? Look, the, the growth has been phenomenal on our side. We, you know, internally had a goal of 10x growth uh, in 12 months. And I think we lost count after 40x. And thanks to the market, 
momentum, but I think it's also the efforts and the product focus we've had. There are two things that I think I'm observing uh, that are pretty glaringly obvious. One is people, retail investors on our side, are looking for ways to put their crypto to work. And I think these staking and DeFi investing products are becoming more and more popular and in demand. Uh, the other thing that's pretty interesting from the institutional side of things is that in the last year, altcoins made up about 53% of the total purchases institutions made on our platform. And that historically hasn't been the case. It's uh, always skewed more towards BTC. So those are the two trends that I think are, are quite fascinating. I'll wrap it up with, uh, I hope that uh, legacy firms uh, who've been around for a while um, are part of that innovation. I think if you look at the innovation in the last 12 months, it didn't come from the legacy companies, including ourselves in many cases. Um, I think you look at DeFi, you look at Metaverse, you look at NFTs, look at GameFi, none of this stuff is actually happening on, on the legacy household brand names that we know of. And what is really important is for us bigger platforms to make sure that we're at the, uh, the front and center of it and we're doing it in a way that makes the UX a lot more simpler and easy to go in and out of these markets. So that's in summary what, what we're observing from uh, the OKCoin platform. Wow, awesome. I mean, that's super interesting to see the, to, to hear about them and also to see the shift in dominance of trade activity. Annabelle, from your, your perspective here, are you seeing similar trends? Do you see things that stand out a little bit differently? Tell us. Yeah, I know. I, I want to echo John and Hader's point. Because um, for us, we um, actually sit, um, we, we cover a lot of the institutional players as well as retail. And we sit in between Asia and also the Western markets. So just over the last year or, you know, almost two years, it's, it's incredible to see the growth. Um, so first, on the institutional side, um, a lot of the uh, traditional hedge funds are onboarding with us, uh, family offices as well, first allocating to Bitcoin. But I think once they get down to the rabbit hole, they actually start looking at DeFi and a lot of them are buying buying up crypto punks as well. So uh, they're fully uh, being adopted. So I'd love to, to see that. Um, but I think there's still so much more um uh, untapped market that that could participate in and I think that's what at least that's a trend uh, of what we're seeing then on the retail market side it's actually quite interesting so I've been on the road for almost uh, a month and uh, I was in London Dubai and went to Russia CS market in Turkey and now in New York for the NFT conference so you do, do see a very different retail sentiment in different um, in different countries I think in, in Turkey uh, to some extent, uh, the other developing markets, um, a lot of them are forced to hold crypto because their own fiat currency is sometimes more volatile and inflation is just simply too high. So they're very focused on, um, you know, remittance or, or payment and easy on the RAM features um, and uh, mostly doing spot trading, uh, kind of uh, buying the Doge and the Sheep coins of the world. Uh, but uh, in the U.S., right, it's very focused on DeFi, on NFTs. I think it's because this market had the luxury of having the basic uh, economic infrastructure. And, and now we're get, getting to know the more blockchain-based technology and what it can enable. Um, so it, it's quite fascinating to see the differences here. But I think overall, the, the adoption is coming, especially on the back of NFTs, because it has more cultural and social component. So I think that could be the way uh, towards mass adoption and um, here at Amber that's why you know we, we 
build the institutional platform and now also porting over to the retail market, uh, hoping to build simple UI UX for anyone to come into the space, whether it's owning your Bitcoin or even just custody your profile, uh, you know, your favorite PFP. Um, so I think that the opportunity is massive and then tied into what um, the, the metaverse narrative, right? Then that's, uh, again, a, a, whole, a whole new world. Very interesting. So I mean, we're talking adoption, DeFi, metaverse, institutional retail, changes in sort of the dynamic volume profiles between uh, Bitcoin dominance out to some of the other altcoins. Devin, take us home here. Tell, tell us about from your perspective, what's standing out for you? Yeah, so I could reiterate all the things that you guys said, but I think you guys covered it pretty well. So I think a different approach would be to say I'm an example of someone who was very, very resistant to getting into the crypto market. I did very well in real estate, very well in business, lots of other things. And I had an opportunity to invest. Devin, we lost you again, man. So... That was probably the most important part he was about to tell us too. So we'll, we'll <laughs> give him the CPTs back in. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I just went to the mic on the on the laptop. Is that better? We got it. Yep. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So uh, I was resistant. I could have gotten in. A friend of mine wanted, I think, only like ten grand or something back in like 2011 to mine Bitcoin, and that would have been the best ten grand I could have ever spent. But I, I was resistant against it. I looked at its speculation, its gambling. I didn't quite understand it. But as time progresses and all the things that you guys talked about, like NFTs, for example. So if someone is into a certain cultural thing, could be basketball, could be whatever, right? That could be the bridge that gets them on. But then once you get on, you don't go off. Because when, like, I send money around the world for various businesses, and there are times when the transaction gets rejected and all start to finish. It takes three weeks to send money. You can send it like that in crypto. This is not the panel to educate that. You guys all know that. And just that, when people realize how fast they can get paid, it's amazing. But then you add in all the other stuff, like you guys were talking about, and, and it becomes a one-way street. So as much as I was resisting against it, when I found the thing that connected with me, I'm not into watching sports. I'm not into those things. It's not what appealed to me, but I am into using leverage to gain economically. And so when there was an opportunity to use leverage to gain economically, that's the thing that brought me in. And then once you're in, you do not leave. Once you're in the space, you're, you're in the space. Like there's no going back. There's the rest of the world does not compare. So, so once we have you, you're hooked. So exactly. you, I mean, you mentioned some things here, which are interesting. So like, you had some struggles getting involved or at least some resistance getting involved. What do you see that are still these big challenges that we need to solve ahead of the next big wave of enthusiasm? If you're asking me, the, the answer is the same problems that I have, right? So I looked at it as speculative gambling. And then when you have Shiba Inu and all these other things that are coming up that are meme coins, basically, it just sort of feeds into that narrative that it's gambling. But Stable coins have existed. DeFi has started to exist. We've started to build out this ecosystem where if you're going to the bank and you can get 0.24% on your savings, or I'm currently getting about 30% on my stable coins, leveraging an Aave, that is kind of a complex thing, but essentially using a flash loan to max out the reward tokens, but I'm getting 30%. And like, how are you going to compare that to somebody getting 0.24% in their savings account? Right. So once you recognize that you can do that, and that's my lowest performing account, by the way. Right. So once you realize you can do these kinds of things, how do you go back to the regular world? Right. Like you just you don't. So once you're in, you see, oh, my God, this is insane. You don't leave. 
Gotcha. So we got to hook you with the excitement. And Haider, uh, you you service both Marcus Retail and Institutional here. Are, are, what are you guys seeing that are these biggest hurdles or challenges that we need to try to break through before the next bull market? Uh, I think the there's some fundamentals that that still need some innovation. So my personal pet peeve is around wallet addresses. Uh, it's the reason why we ended up integrating with Unstoppable Domain. Uh, I think that still that side of the technology still needs work. Uh, more browsers need to support it before that thing becomes more usable. But I think wallet addresses is one thing when people are going to transact with each other from one wallet to another to peer. Um, I just saw a tweet from a gentleman today on Twitter where he said I lost you know 7k because I ended up getting the wallet address wrong. And so I think like that's one big area. The second is. I love the idea of self-custody, but I, I don't think most of the world is ready for self-custody simply because where the technology is. So this idea that we're going to save our backup phrases is, is, is still not, it's pretty archaic. And I'm hoping and hopeful that there will be a better system in place. And I think those are the two things that will make people comfortable because they're just unnecessarily technical. Yeah, totally makes sense. I mean, everyone in crypto has that white knuckle moment the first time you try to send crypto around. Just hope and pray that it makes it to the space. Uh, so you mentioned you saw something on Twitter, I, John. I gotta ask you this question here: Are you? Um, what are the users telling you, or, or what are you seeing as the next, uh, the biggest challenges that we need to solve before the next bull market? I, I think one thing is it's not it's not something we do build. I mean, I could tell you all sorts of answers around this question, but the the biggest challenge I think for most is is unlearning what they know. Um, and, I, and I say that because it's not so much how complicated, say, even starting with Bitcoin and then Ethereum, and then you keep going like most people do. It's more like they know nothing about the U.S. dollar, yet they're in this system. Like most people I talk to don't know about money printing. They just do their daily thing. They do their job. They have a good life. They go home. They have kids. They take them to soccer. and They don't educate themselves on what the Federal Reserve is doing. And so I think that's that's first and foremost the, the biggest thing that I see. It's not a crypto problem to solve. It's more of a macro narrative and, and an education issue. Um, so that's the first thing. But I'd say if, if we're getting specific, um, it's a, it's more around making things easy. You know, it, it, when you talk to people that are maybe are out of this space and you say, hey, go go sign up for this DeFi platform. Okay, what you're actually telling them, you're like, hey, go set up a wallet add a browser extension, they're going, what is that? Um, don't lose your password. Oh, you have to go buy some ETH to use it, or you can't participate in that app. Oh, and then you have to buy this other token to use that one app on this other exchange that's going to charge you gas fees that are crazy. They're already done. And so I'd say like the UX problem is first and foremost, I say it's secondary after learning why crypto is, is important and that, that the, the fiat currencies of the world have problems. So I'd say it's more of an education followed by a UX problem. Um, but I, I'd say another element beyond that is interoperability is a major issue. Um, you know, we, we locking, all these ecosystems are locking users into one chain and then the user wants to do something over here and they're bridging to 19 different places. They don't even know where their tokens are half the time. And I think that's another issue users should never even be exposed to that. They should just use the application and it should just work. So um, really, I think we have, uh, as an industry of crypto pro professionals, we should focus on UX and make it as easy as possible to onboard those new people. 
Um, and that's a really big, big theme that we see a lot, a lot of, because honestly, the other piece that we also look at, um, when you look at a lot of these dApps, most of them don't really have a lot of users. And I mean, actual users of the application. And I don't mean Twitter followers. I mean, like when you look at transactions on, on chain and you look at people actually using stuff and there's these big old marketing messages and these videos and all that stuff. And then you go, wait a second, they're, they have 2000 users total. And, and that doesn't work. Um, and that's because it's too complicated. John, are you giving teeing this up for me to plug OKCoin? <laughs> yes, OKCoin, the easiest to and use crypto of... exchange ever made. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what we're all trying to build here, right? Like uh, easy UI. Um, so we here as a more professional or, or more um, crypto native platform, we abstract away a lot of complexities and in interacting with with different protocols, different blockchains, and give our user what they want, um, easy easy to use. And I think it's great that all of us are very dedicated in building that. But I would say another, I think, hurdle for us is unfortunately on the regulatory side. I think we want to do things right, but I think at this point, a lot of the regulators in different markets, different regions are just unsure, unfamiliar with what this is. Um, so I think Hopefully, um, in the next year or two, there will, we'll be able to see a lot more clarity um, in terms of regulation uh, in major markets as well as in a lot of the regional markets that can let us um, really uh, be the bridge between traditional finance, be the fiat on or around gateway into and port more people into uh, crypto finance and, and to build the digital world. But, as, but right now, it's actually quite difficult uh, to be able to offer services that we do. We have probably 20 different licenses going on in, in different regions and uh, within the United States, there's probably 50 different state licenses. So uh, it is, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I always talk about it. our lawyers have lawyers. It's incredible. I've never been into a <laughs> place with so many different <laughs> compliance and, and uh, legal teams, but I think these are all really interesting. So I, we, we, we talked about UX, we talked about education, we talked about interoperability. Uh, we've been talking about those for, for some time, but arguably they've gotten better. We've, we've definitely been able to bring more people in in this bull market. You know, 2020, 2021 is a lot different than 2017. Uh, I'm very curious to see from those challenges as they start to evolve, you know, where do we find the next 1 billion crypto users from it? You know, and what will be important to them? Annabelle, you're on a great role if you want to lead us into this one. Yeah, well, I think just um, piggybacking on what we discussed, right? Once we are able to solve a lot of the um, UI, UX education and even regulatory issues, then really it's anyone. Um, so next billion or next, um, you know, the next billion users, it's anyone who um, want to own their crypto, anyone who want to use it as a remittance or payment method, anyone who wants to have their uh, profile picture, you know, NFT profile picture, it, it, I think it's, it shouldn't be limited to whoever is actually, you know, I think we are all the early adopters now and we work through a lot of problems, um, uh, you know, used MetaMask for the first time years ago and having to worry about that. But now there are gonna be a lot of more platforms um, like what we're building here on this panel uh, to, to make it easier for them. So I think that's, 
next bull market or next wave of adoption definitely uh, should come from there. And what's important to them, I think it's it's different for different regions. Like I said, uh, in the U.S., maybe it is um, something funkier like the NFT market as part of their social status, social identity, or in Latin America and, and Turkey and other uh, emerging markets, it could just be that they're replacing their own fiat and really embracing uh, crypto wealth and, and digital wealth. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's just super exciting. Um, I think it's up only for us. So we'll see uh, when that time comes. Sounds like it's an, inev- an eventuality at this point that this is coming in. So Haider, I'm very curious on your thoughts here. I mean, uh, in some in your role, you are probably every day thinking about where this is coming from. Uh, where are we going to get the next billion users? What's important to them? What do you guys see? Where, what, what's, what is in the, the inner circle? Look, I'll, I'll echo Annabelle's thoughts here. There are three other areas that, that I want to point out to. One is I think uh, we expect largely this growth is going to come from areas where bank accounts aren't a common place. Uh, we're going to see more populations like El Salvador where payments haven't been digitized. They'll skip the you know digital banking system, and uh, which essentially takes three business days for a transaction to go through. And they'll go leapfrog directly into decentralized payment systems. So I think that's one area that we're watching really carefully. The second area is, this is my second crypto firm. I was the head of growth at blockchain.com. And there's two, uh, between these two experiences, one thing is common. There's about 90% male investors and 10% females. This was true at blockchain.com. This is true at okcoin.com. Uh, I think the intention to change that uh, is, is there for us. And what you're going to see in terms of our marketing is we're going to go very deliberately out there and not worry about the Tom Brady's of the world and try and see how we can bring in more public speakers that inspire women and make them feel that this is not just a crypto bros culture. There is a platform that welcomes them. It's not too late. Uh, it's still pretty early. And these are the insights that we're gathering through surveys of what is the resistant points for, for females to come in. Uh, unfortunately, Annabelle just left. I, I really wanted her to hear this. Uh, and then the third area, I think, is um, you know a personal strength of mine. Annabelle, you left at the wrong time. Glad you're back. No, I, I, yeah, I wanted to say I strongly echo that. And even just look at not even on the uh, investors point or user point, and just for the pure number of women that are in this industry. Um, you know, I came from a math background, finance background, and uh, kind of used to this ratio. But here in crypto, it's, I think, even worse, especially um, in, in terms of, like, uh, leading female or, or thought leaders in the space. And I think that probably is what's lacking. Um, I think we need more female within the industry speaking um, and appearing publicly that that will encourage more, I think, female users to come join in the space and, uh, it's, it's it might seem crazy, but it's not. You know, like Devin said, once you're in, you're in. And I, I think uh, yeah. from from our side, uh, we are excited. We're going to be announcing two public figures who are going to be females, who are inspirational to not just women but also to men. And uh, look, I think this is in the backdrop of uh, OKCoin, where the CEO is the only female CEO of a global crypto platform, Hong Fang, and. Um, so I think that's one area where our personal appetite to bring in part of the billion users from 
inspiring more women to come in and feel like this is not a crypto bros culture. It's not an echo chamber. There is a platform for them uh, and, and such. And then the third area I'll quickly wrap up with is a position of strength that I think is missing in, in crypto industry. So if you look at fintech brands, if you look at you know, big consumer brands, they do amazing storytelling. And I think with crypto platforms or crypto in general, what we've done is built phenomenal technologies and created these amazing ecosystems. But we've failed, uh, and I'll, I'll say that very directly, I think we've failed at, at uh, you know, really amazing human storytelling. And I think what you can expect from OKCoin is we're going to do just that. We're going to invest in that. Uh, and our hope is that we can inspire a really broad spectrum of people to look at our work and, and draw some inspiration and get, it, get those emotional cues that help people understand the utility, the urgency, uh, and the, the fact that there is an alternative choice now to the traditional financial system. So that's, uh, in a long nutshell, that's uh, our hope of uh, bringing the next, or at least impacting uh, the journey towards the next billion crypto users. That's awesome. I mean, fantastic prediction. Just bringing in the other half of the population would be a major major milestone. Sean, uh, I'm curious from your side, you know, do you see similar breakdowns demographically from male, female? Do you see that maybe a little bit different in your data? Is there something that we're not talking about where we get the next billion crypto users from? Uh, well, it, it's hard to follow up, Hader, because I, I loved every bit of what you just said. And um, we definitely also see in our data, I mean, like we have, we have users in 213 countries and they're typically men between the ages of 25 to 43 and um it it varies it fluctuates it you know times times move we are seeing a a, a stronger female population at, on our site over time but it's still small and so i i think yes there needs to be a, a much broader like a broadening out of of messaging of um information that resonates to everyone this is for everyone not any one group of people and so I think that's that's what's really exciting is it's, hey, that's another opportunity. That's another really amazing opportunity for everyone. But um, another thing that I'd, I want to want to talk about that hasn't been mentioned, though, is, you know, we we interview different projects to about two or three times a week right now. And some of the things that are being talked about are um, the things that are coming soon and the things that are coming soon. Uh, a lot of it revolves around speed and interoperability. And that's a major, major deal because what's going to happen, you know, the next billion users aren't going to come from something necessarily net new that we build. It's going to come from the things that people are already doing. And so, you know, when you go to your grocery store, you're going to be using some sort of blockchain, some sort of crypto wallet, some sort of whatever, then the gas station, then the, the fundraising thing at school. Uh, and then, you know, when, when you have to go to a baseball game and pay for your ticket and, and, then you're going to go home and watch TV and play video games. And as you're playing those video games, there's going to be real-time blockchain transactions that are confirming. You just don't know it. It's just you're playing your video game like you always did. And so what's happening is we're going to start seeing sub one-second confirmations across the board on some of these blockchains, some of these newer generation blockchains that are working on this. Um, and you're going to see interoperability so that when you go from retailer to retailer, you don't care what they're using. Um, it's just fast and works. And then you start to get to an interesting point with all this where, okay, everything's fast and it works and it's all, you know, it's all decentralized. It's in my, my possession. Um, what is the place for the banks? The banks have to reinvent themselves. Um, they're stuck somewhere between 
um, crypto and CBDCs and, and the banks are going to really need to fight their way to, to be relevant in some places of the world, especially. And so I think, you know, I think just, just to echo what I'm saying, like between speed and interoperability, I think it changes the UX so much that we haven't even begun to, to, to see the benefits of crypto yet. Um, and that's where I think the next billion users are going to come from. Wow. Super interesting. Devin. Yeah, so I, I agree with John. Um, earlier in the call, he had highlighted some of the frictions, the pain points of actually using it, of having to download MetaMask or whatever wallet you're using, fill it with ETH, fill it with all this. It's just too much. So I don't think you're going to get a billion people to just know how to do that. That's moving in the wrong direction. The reality is most of these people are not going to even know that they're on blockchain. So he just described a couple of use cases, video games, sporting events, things like that. They're not even going to know that it's blockchain that's powering these things. There's energy web, there's all sorts of other things that are that are going on that people are gonna have no clue it's blockchain related, but it is. And so it's an on-ramp. It's one of many on-ramps to get people on and sort of sticking with that theme that I talked about, that once people go on, they don't go off. The other thing is generally when it comes to any sort of motivation to do anything, people don't change until the, the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing, right? So everything that John just said is or not just said, but earlier in the call, he talked about MetaMask and all, all these issues that you got to deal with. But if the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of learning those things, then you're going to make the change and learn those things. Right. So there's going to be multiple sets of motivations that help people. So, for example, if you find and I used this example earlier and and I'm getting nearly 30 percent on stable coins as a, as a yield and you compare that to a bank account, and that's my lowest performing account, right? So when you look at like how much better you can do as a return, I would say that that is a big motivator to deal with the pain points that you're talking about, but that's not a billion users, right? That is a large number that are gonna be motivated by that, but it's not a billion. To get to a billion, you have to do the things that John was talking about, which is the subconscious, it's just happening and it becomes normal, right? Like that's part of the, the, the adoption cycle of any new technology. So when the iPhone first came out, lots of skeptics, lots of whatever. My grandma has one. She's 90, right? It took her a few years, but she got one. And so it, it, she didn't get one until everyone she knew had one. And she wanted to communicate and send iMessages and do FaceTime and these you know, things that everyone else is already doing this. And I'm missing out. So the pain of staying the same, I'm missing out, exceeds the pain of, oh, man, I got to learn how to use an iPhone for a 90-year-old, right? It's a pain. She, she still calls me and asks how to do things. But the pain of staying the same exceeded that. And so we're going to see the exact same thing happening within crypto where people are saying, wow, I, you know, I'm trying to save for college for my kids and I'm getting nothing in terms of returns. It's a 15 year time horizon. Why don't I do something that compounds at a much higher rate? And so that's going to be sort of the motivation to get people to do things where they're dealing with the pain points John talked about. But the majority of that billion is going to come from the subconscious. Or from the sub, yeah, subconscious. Interesting, interesting. And so, speaking of pain and speaking of uh, driving people in, it's said that everyone buys Bitcoin or gets the Bitcoin at the price that they deserve. Uh, I want to curious here: what do you think happens regarding price to bring Warren Buffett or Peter Schiff to the party? How much pain do they take before they get involved? And I'll open up for whoever wants to grab this. <laughs> All right. Devin. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in. Um, I don't think either of them are going to get in at all. 
And so if you look at Warren Buffett, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget about rule number one. And if you expand onto that, it, it comes down to if you don't really know what you're doing, he's pretty old. I don't know that he's going to go through all the hoops to really learn it. Maybe he starts to see like some of the things I'm doing and others are doing and seeing like, oh, this is actually feasible. This is something that we could do. Then maybe that would get them in, but it's not a certain price of Bitcoin, right? It would be the desire to have more Bitcoin, right? So if the price tanks, then they can use that as an argument and say, oh, the price tanked. You know, that's my justification for why I shouldn't have gone in at all. They're not necessarily going to look at that and say, oh, buying opportunity, let's, you know, let it go up. So I don't think um, the other part of the question, at least written, I don't know if you mentioned it here, is Peter Schiff. And I think he's got enough confirmation bias. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for Peter Schiff. I, I listen to a lot of his stuff. I, I, you know, his book on how to grow an economy and why it crashes. I recommend that to everyone, even now, even though he's been wrong on so many things. <laughs> that basic book, like, it does teach you economics. Like, it's a really good book on that. And so I think he's got confirmation bias at this point. I think that no matter what happens, he's not going to buy in. Even if it goes to a million a token, he's going to say, well, I missed the boat. I, maybe he'll admit he's wrong. I think he's too much of an ego for that. But I don't think there is a price that gets either of those two figures to to enter the market. I think that um, they're just not going to do it. And and that's fine, right? We've got enough people that will do it. But those two, I think, are, are going to stay out. How about... Uh, I want to yeah. add just, I mean, like Warren, Warren Buffett, I mean, I... I it's not a price. It's not a price that gets him in, but I could see him saying, Hey, I've already got, you know, so much stock in Wells Fargo. Why don't we convert Wells Fargo into some sort of custody solution for crypto and we'll charge them a monthly fee. And I, I, he's like, it's more about picks and shovels and he owns railroads and things like that. I, I, I see him building. If, if he were to even get involved, I don't think it's him just directly going out and buying Bitcoin and hoping it goes higher. It's, I, th I think he would want to play in a sustainable way um, where he can continually make money for his, you know, to add to his legacy. Um, he doesn't care if Bitcoin goes from 500 to a million, 500,000 to a million, what, to make more money? I mean, I, I just, and then what? Then he can't sell it either. That's not his game. Um, and so I think that's the only play I see him getting in. And I, Peter Schiff, I don't know. I, I still think he's trolling all of us, but we'll see. Yeah, so he's got a backdoor in, is what you're suggesting. Backdoor into some equity position. <laughs> uh, I do have a next, my next question here, and, and I think here, Annabelle, is, would be pretty interesting to hear from you is, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussions around the current bull market. Are we in a, do we think it's going to extend? Uh, are we going to have an extendable market? Or are we following similar patterns like 2013, 2017? What are you kind of seeing here from your customers or, or your opinion here? So on, uh, I guess from the flows we're seeing and discussions we've, we've been having, actually, you know, there are two camps. One is that we're going to be in this bull run forever. It's never ending. And one on the other side, I think, uh, and I'm with the side is that I think we've seen a few of the cycles. There is certain cyclicality in this market. And, uh, and now because it's, um, the market cap is over $2 trillion, it's gone a lot of the traditional money coming in. So it actually has a, a more of a correlation or it reacts in a more sophisticated way towards what happened in the macro economy versus probably where it was eight or four years ago, where it's more of an isolated asset class with you know fewer players kind of within this bubble. But now, right, a lot of the tr traditional players are in it. So 
um, you're seeing the Fed uh, is, uh, you know, having these taper talks, rate hikes happening soon, and that definitely plays into the inflation trade narrative of Bitcoin. So I think some of the people are, you know, myself included, we are expecting that uh, once that does happen and, and play into uh, the, the crypto market, then, you know, we might head to some of a more subdued um, and right now, the sentiment is, is uh, you know, to be honest, it's very close to what we're seeing uh, in 2017. It's, it's hyped up, like NFT took over Times Square in New York, and, and that's uh, that. That's what we're seeing and experiencing right now. And I'm not sure if that's sustainable. And to be honest, I think maybe we're all ready for some of a uh, another period of time where we focus on building the product as opposed to really focus on pricing and um, you know having all this moon memes. Uh, so I think personally, again, not like financial advice or anything, I I think over this year we uh, had probably mo the more bullish news coming out from the U.S. with Coinbase listing earlier this year and the ETF being approved uh, just more recently. Um, so unless they're like very, very strong catalysts towards it, then I think uh, with where it's going, where it's headed in the global macro market, then we might start to see, um, you know, some sort of. Uh, consolidation next year. Interesting. And Haider, what's your thoughts here? Are we at peak euphoria, or are we uh, we riding this one out for a lot longer? I, I think um, I think uh, the current run or the current market conditions. Uh, I personally struggle with comparing it to, to uh, 2013 or 2017 because I think the environment is very different. Uh, look, I think the we consider Bitcoin the foundational layer of crypto markets. And Bitcoin is in a much uh, more position of strength than it historically was in 2013 and 17. So there are more new speculative markets like NFTs and metaverse and new assets that are, you know, that are uh, that the retail is chasing after. Uh, yes, that could be experienced a dramatic pullback. But if there was a dramatic pullback on Bitcoin, beyond like the 40,000 lows that we saw, you know, uh, 30 days ago or so, or a few weeks ago, I think there's enough demand in the market that that price point wouldn't stay there for too long. It would probably get gobbled up and we'll, we'll see the price recover very quickly. What happens to altcoins? I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that really, really closely because of the speculative nature of meme coins and NFTs and such. So that's my, my general view. I think 2021 or going into 2022 is a very different environment than 17 and 13. And my hope is that it's not going to have the sort of Armageddon pullback we might have seen in the previous cycles. And, and one last point I would say is I know we had some really thoughtful answers on, you know, where might the next billion customers come from? Uh, I would be really surprised and maybe we'll uh, laugh at this in a few years uh, when, you know, it's a meme coin that drives most of the billion users, it might actually be something as simple and silly as that than, than you know, the sophisticated products we're all hoping people would engage with. Yeah, well, that's what our, our friend uh, Elon talks about is the most ironic outcome potentially being Dogecoin. Uh, very interesting. John, do you have anything, any thoughts here around uh, bull market, extend, stop top? Probably a, a lot of them, but I, I'm going to also agree with Hater because I'm, I'm going to say, you know, um, when, when Dogecoin had its big run to 73 cents or whatever that was, I was sitting at a coffee shop and there was four mothers holding their babies talking about how they're all in on Dogecoin. And when they buy, when it hits a dollar, they're buying a beach house. 
And wow. and I think you can guarantee that they were not like it's a it's a driver of new people coming into the space. It gets people talking that weren't previously talking about it. And I think that's really important to note. Fun is so incredibly important in this space. Um, and I think people have fun with some of these meme coins and they bring up another important point because when we're talking about like what's you know what what are your bull market predictions like what's your price target for bitcoin um aside from throwing a number out there um i think you have to look at like in general um how's that where's the money going is there capital flowing into the system to build the next um, generation applications or is there not is it shrinking is it growing you're seeing binance throw in a billion dollars into a fund to build you're seeing solana raised how many hundreds of millions of dollars not long ago um we're seeing exchanges uh, advertise on, on Major League Baseball, right, at the World Series and every umpire. Um, like there's major celebrities getting in now. The, the, the money that's coming into crypto is not built for what's already here. It's not even out yet. The teams are still being formed to build those future things. And so I think if you just follow that in general, um, I think it tells you that there's, there's, it's going to be a long while until there's some kind of top. Um, and I think, you know, I'd, I'd say if you look backwards, um, finally, we're starting to get a little bit, just a tad of historical data in crypto because it's no longer like three years old. Um, and so we're we're seeing things that are like um, if you would have just been patient um, and just bought Bitcoin and held it forever, didn't matter when you bought it, didn't matter any any day, you're in the money. You made money. All you had to do was be patient. And so I think, you know, we could have had this this whole conversation a year and a half, two years ago and said, oh, market's in the toilet. It's awful. We're in this bear market reality. You should have just kept buying Bitcoin. You should have just kept buying Ethereum. You should have just kept buying some of your favorite coins and you're in the money. And so I think it's not so much is there a bull market, is there a bear market? There's a there's a market for the impatient and the impatient always lose. Um, and if you have confidence in what you're building, you just have this kind of longer term mentality. You win. Um, you know, it's that simple. Uh, and if you're, if you're going to do a trade, yeah, eventually you're going to lose. Value. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Zoom, zoom out on your chart. <laughs> zoom out on your chart. And uh, a very, very interesting discussion, folks. I think it was awesome. I want to thank each of you for preparing and coming out here and sharing all this knowledge with us. It's been a phenomenal discussion. I've learned a lot and uh, I look forward to following up in these conversations with each of you. So thank you each for coming on and appreciate all what you did.